The Lifestylist, episode 60, featuring Wendy Michelle. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. You're listening to part one of two with our guest, Wendy Michelle. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss part two this Friday. Hey, I've got a cool feature at LukeStory.com to tell you about. It's our support page. You can go to LukeStory.com forward slash support, and there you will find three quick and easy ways to make a monetary pledge to help support the cost of the podcast. You can pay with a credit card, PayPal, or even go on Patreon through the link there where you can make a monthly pledge for as little as $2 and receive exclusive rewards every damn month, okay? So go to LukeStory.com forward slash support and do whatever you can to help contribute to the show. And if you just want to listen, that's a great contribution as well. Thank you so much for your support. If you're hearing my voice right now, you are part of the resistance. Resistance to what? Resistance to having a boring, unhappy, unhealthy life. This is the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm Luke Story, and our guest today is my friend Wendy Michelle from a place called Next Health that I spend a lot of time in here in Hollywood. And today's show is really about becoming your own doctor, how to take charge of your own biology, your own life, body, mind, and spirit, and really perform at the highest level possible. So in this episode, we travel back in time with Wendy to her beginnings in the fitness industry and how her health eventually fell apart and she contracted Lyme disease. Then we talk about how she actually cured herself of that disease and many other ailments using totally natural and experimental and alternative therapies. It's a fascinating and really inspiring story. So here's what's covered in this two-part epic interview with Wendy Michelle. We talk about, of course, how she recovered from Lyme disease and where does Lyme disease come from? Are deer to blame? And how does the Lyme bacteria have the ability to shape shift into a fungus when attacked by antibiotics? It's a really weird disease and it's actually a miracle that she got rid of it because it's really difficult to do that. She used things like intravenous ozone, high dose vitamin C, hydrogen peroxide and colloidal silver. So she had a lot of really weird stuff injected into her body and that was just part of her healing protocol which actually took about three years. So you're going to learn all about that. Some of the costly treatment she is thankful to avoid in her journey, how to boost your immune system by taking care of your gut biome, taking care of the old gut bacteria, the magic of neuropeptide shots for pain relief, giving your body just what it needs to heal itself, getting to know your body's own innate wisdom and creating a diet that works for you personally, why you should avoid cheese. I know, bad news. I really was bummed to hear that. I mean, I already knew it, but it just sucks to have it reinforced. How eating fat actually makes you skinny. How to eat a healthy diet without becoming a control freak. Something I really needed to hear. The importance of avoiding corn and soy. Ew, gross. And let's just throw weed in there while we're at it. The dangers of vegetable oils. And we explore my favorite biohacking hub spa, Next Health, that Wendy runs. And Next Health, something that you probably heard me talk about on the show. If you follow me on Instagram, I'm there almost every day. So I'm always posting from there. We talk about a variety of different um, protocol that they use there to help people with their health. It's fantastic clinic. It's totally amazing. Uh, And then what is cryotherapy, which is one of the things I do there. And why is cryotherapy so effective? What are the benefits? Then we talk about what's different about 
the next health cryo versus the other types that people use, which are typically done with liquid nitrogen. So there's a few different types of cryotherapy and it's important to know the right ones. And are there different benefits to cryotherapy versus ice baths? I personally do both because I get benefits from both. We're gonna find out which is better. And then what can you learn from neurotransmitter testing? How does that relate to leaky gut and leaky brain issues? What is genetic testing and how can it help us? How about food sensitivity testing? Why are telomeres so important to anti-aging? Hormone testing and optimization? And why we should consider injecting vitamins instead of eating them, which is something I do all the time. So as you can see, we cover a lot of ground in this episode. I'm really pleased to put this out. Wendy and I had a great time sitting down together. She's a really cool girl. She's like my biohacking twin. Like, honestly, we just have had, I never had Lyme disease, but I've recovered from some pretty gnarly stuff. And uh, so we have a lot in common and we're both just really obsessed with health and happiness. So I look so forward to sharing this episode with you. As a token of appreciation for being a guest on the show and also a fan of the show, Wendy has been kind enough to offer us a discount over at Next Health. So if you're in the Hollywood area and you want to do some cryotherapy, they're offering for a limited time to you as the listener, $79 for a week of cryotherapy and then the genetic fit test program for $375. And you can do that whether you live in LA or not. It's pretty cool stuff. So get over to next-health.com. And if you're in Hollywood, just roll in there and talk to Wendy, tell her you heard the show and you're going to get hooked up. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at Organifi.com. Really excited about this product. I've been using it for a few months and I've got to say they are revolutionizing the green juice game. So you probably know that green juice is good for you, right? We see them like in 7-Eleven now and airport convenience stores. That's awesome. I'm all for it. But there's a couple of issues with green juice that I find troubling. A is a lot of times they come in plastic. B, they're loaded with sugar up to 25 grams sometimes, which is insane. That's like a green Coke. But the main thing is they're just really in convenient. They're not good for travel. Organifi has solved that problem by creating these single serving packets of a really easy to mix, easy to use green juice superfood blend. It's loaded with 11 superfoods. It's got chlorella, wheatgrass, spirulina, mint, turmeric, moringa, ashwagandha, lemon, beets, matcha green tea, coconut water. Best of all, it's sweetened with monk fruit, which is a really low glycemic sugar. So it's not gonna spike your blood sugar, which essentially drains you of energy, makes you crash, and ultimately could also make you fat because you don't wanna be having a high sugar drink. It just is not good. So these guys make this amazing tasting, super powerful green juice powder. It also comes in a tub if you just wanna have one at home. It's by far the tastiest one that I've found. There's a lot of superfood green blends around. And to be honest, a lot of them just taste gross and they don't mix well and they're just not convenient to travel with. You'd have to like make a Ziploc bag full of some green powder. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be traveling through the airport security and get caught with one of those. So if you want to check it out, I highly recommend that you do. And I've also got a little discount for you, of course. All you do is go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20% off your order. It's a pretty sweet deal. So again, go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST and you will save 20%. Check it out. Our show today, folks, is brought to you by Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies in the world of medicinal mushrooms. So Four Sigmatic make these amazing little packets of herbal and superfood elixirs. They're delicious, they're super potent, very high quality herbs, and they're really, really easy to use. So they're a standalone drink. You can make them hot or cold. They come in a little packet. It's a powder. You stir it up, blend it, you're good to go. Or you can add it to an existing drink, like a bulletproof coffee, for example. 
if you caught my episode one and got the episode upgrade, or you happen to have seen it on YouTube, I make an amazing recipe called Supercharged Bulletproof Coffee, in which I use Four Sigmatic Herbs. So it's one of my favorite companies. I use their stuff all the time. I absolutely stand behind them. They are badass. What's even more badass is that I got you a little hookup, my friend. That's right. We got you covered with a 15% off coupon at foursigmatic.com. Go to the site, enter this code, the lifestylist, and you will save 15%. So go to foursigmatic.com. Enter the code THELIFESTYLIST for a 15% discount. And if you'd like a recommendation on where to start once you get there, I would definitely get cracking on the Chaga and the Rishi blends. Those are two of my very favorite drinks. And Chaga is kind of difficult to make on your own. And when you boil it like I do, you really only get the water extraction and not the fat-soluble extraction in which you would have to use alcohol. So they use a dual extraction, which you're going to hear about in episode 8 with Taro Isakalpila, the co-founder of the company. So enjoy your medicinal mushrooms, stay healthy, stay strong, stay well, enjoy the lifestyle. Wendy's passion for health started in high school, and before her 20s, she already had years of strength and nutrition coaching under her belt. After several fitness competitions and many successful client transformations, her health journey took an unexpected turn and her own health began deteriorating. Wendy was faced with devastating paralysis, seizures, organ failure, depression, and anxiety. Over several years of study with countless specialists and medical textbooks, she relentlessly pursued a diagnosis and settled for nothing less than complete healing. She applied naturopathic medicine, herbs, traditional Chinese medicine, essential oils, homeopathy, and food to heal herself from late-stage Lyme disease and autoimmune conditions. With an incredible amount of new health information to share, she left her corporate job as an executive and gave away all she owned to be completely free, to go and do whatever was necessary to help others being misguided by our medical system. Wendy then partnered as one of the founding members of Next Health, a progressive wellness center in Hollywood. She currently serves as the executive director of wellness programs and utilizes 15 plus years of business, biohacking, and health expertise to create unique strategies for people to reach their full potential and optimal health. Wendy currently resides in Santa Monica, California, and is writing her second book. She has a line of nutrition bars available online and in stores, along with several other food products gearing to launch nationwide in the spring of 2017. And here she is in the flesh, Wendy Michelle. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, so here we are. We're uh, sitting in my home studio here, and I just came from a cryotherapy session, which I snuck in at Next Health, where I met Wendy, and I'm feeling pretty damn good. So how's your day going so far? It's awesome. I'm a little jealous. I did not get cryotherapy today. So, Well, I'm jealous because your place of work has the best cryo unit I think I've ever... No, I don't think that I know I've ever used, and I would probably be in there a couple times a day if I was working there. It happens sometimes. So yeah. It does? Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So we're definitely going to get into that. So... Wendy is like the female version of me, basically, you guys. She's maybe a bit more scientific. <laughs> I just kind of wing it. I don't think she's as much of a wing it kind of person, but she's as obsessed with health, I think, as I am. And we've been getting to know each other over at her spot, Next Health, and um, she is a wealth of information. So I wanted to get you on the show to share some of that knowledge with the listeners because 
as I was telling you before we started recording, a lot of people ask me very specific, more kind of scientific questions. And I'm more of a broad stroke kind of guy, like take every herb and supplement known to man and eventually you'll hit what's wrong with you. And <laughs> which is very expensive and sometimes has negative consequences <laughs> mm -hmm. and side effects, whereas your approach is all based on testing. So that's what we're going to get into today is like all the different tests that you've done that you administer on people and what you find. But before we get into all that craziness, mm -hmm. I'd like you to tell our audience kind of how you ended up becoming so interested in health and wellness and all this stuff. Basically, it started when I was relatively young. I was really interested in fitness primarily, strength training, what I could do in the gym, how I could shape my body, shape the muscles. That was just very fascinating to me. And then I started learning more about health from a food standpoint and how when I add a little you know, food variety and manipulation to what I was doing in the gym, how, what, what that turned into. So that was primarily how it all started. But then I got in the process of a little fitness competitions and some fitness modeling, I got super sick and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me and I didn't have time to be sick. And I also was just super angry that I was sick because I spent so much time and was so thoughtful about how I took care of myself that I didn't really understand how I could be sick. So then it became a huge passion and not just for me, but for the simple fact that I was teaching people how to be healthy. And here I was feeling like a hypocrite because how could I possibly teach anybody anything when I couldn't even take care of myself? So that led to a lot of learning, a lot of research, a lot of textbooks, a lot of questioning doctors, a lot of arguments with doctors, and then uh, a naturopathic doctor, which I didn't even think was something real. I thought it was just like snake oil and they were going to just charge me $10,000 to basically do nothing special. And, and I was going to end up in the same position I was in at the beginning, but just $10,000 less, which wasn't the case. So once I realized there was not just snake oil at this particular clinic, but there was real science behind it. And I was constantly surrounded by people coming from other areas of the country to this one place for cancer and for things that other people aren't even talking about alternative therapies for. And at a time where people weren't talking about it much at all. And I couldn't discount what I was seeing because I was seeing people healed utilizing vitamins and IV therapy and ozone and crazy stuff I never obviously didn't learn about as a personal trainer and just didn't even know was in existence. But I was watching people's lives get changed and it really led me to a place where I felt like people needed to know. And why didn't people know? And why did it take me a year to find it? And if it took me a year and I'm stubborn and super strong-willed when it comes to those things, I mean, that means people are suffering and they'll never find it unless somebody is a voice for them. So that's what prompted all of the research and the testing and trial and error and plenty of experiments that were not so scientifically based, but just out of curiosity, I suppose, and led me to where I am today and a whole bunch of other things in between. Awesome. Wow, you're able to present that in a really concise way. <laughs> do, you, do you want, because I know it's been a long journey for me based mm -hmm. on our previous talks, do you uh, feel inclined to share what you ended up finding was wrong with you when you were sick? 
Yeah, sure, of course, especially because hopefully people will be able to, in listening to this, know somebody else who's going through similar things. Um, perhaps even somebody listening is going through similar things, and most importantly, that they'll find hope. Basically, it took about a year to figure out that what I had was late-stage Lyme disease. Whoa. But that was way, uh, probably about six or seven years after I had gotten it, which I never remember even being bit by a tick. So that's a whole other path we could go down. Um, but the, the Lyme disease was created by the CIA in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm totally kidding, you guys. I don't know that to be true, but I definitely have my suspicions about the origins of AIDS and some other things. But yeah, you never know. You never know. And and I learned a lot of that stuff just in the process as well. And I, I'm always interested in what people's theories are about it because nobody really knows. So I, I want to gather all the information before making any kind of a judgment call for sure. But by the time, by the time they found it for me, I was already wasn't able to walk. I was having seizures. I had a mini stroke, and this was all before I turned twenty eight years old. So at a time where I pretty much hung out with everybody that was hiking and running marathons and you know doing all of the fun fitness things, and then here's this disabled girl who can't walk and. I was mad because that was pretty much where I got all my joy. So, um, yeah, I had very severe symptoms, and they came on really quickly. Lyme typically will show up in three different stages, and I just skipped the first two. It went right from fitness modeling and competing to not being able to stand, and walking was so incredibly painful. And the only answers the doctors had for me or remedies or solutions were medications, pharmaceuticals. So at one time I was on clonopin for the seizures. I was on Oxycontin and Percocet for breakthrough pain for the neuralgia, Damn. which wasn't working. That's it, a that's a real party though. <laughs> I was miserable. Maybe from, for somebody with the party. Where I come from, I'm like, keep going. I that sounds like a, a nice Sunday afternoon uh, back in the day. Yeah, no, I was hating it all. And no, I know what you mean. It's funny because I, you know, I think I shared with you when we met. I have a pretty checkered past in terms of drug abuse and things like that. And uh, there have been times, even since I sobered up, that I've had to take pain medication, and I'm always kind of like, oh, I kind of, I'm gonna get away with one. And then I take it. I'm like, God, this sucks. How did I ever live like mm -hmm. this? It actually feels like shit. Mm -hmm. If you don't have emotional and mental issues that you're trying to deal with using that medic, you know, for lack of a better term, medication, right. you know, it's like a lot of the symptoms of why I did drugs and drank are gone because of all the work I've been doing yeah. and divine providence, I think. And so now to take those things actually doesn't feel good, no. but I'm still surprised. I'm like, whoa, that's dope. You got to take clonopin and Oxycontin. You must've felt awesome. It's like to a healthy minded person who doesn't have emotional problems. Mm -hmm. It actually is not awesome to be on stuff like that. No, it was it was terrible. And I kept asking them to try something else because I didn't feel any better. So I was getting all the negative side effects of the medication. But I was so passionate about getting past it, finding the answer. It's honestly a miracle that I was even able to function. You know, looking back now at all the different medications I was on, I was still up every day. I had insomnia. I think it might be so dangerous wild. to work out on clonopin and oxycontin. Like, don't deadlift if you're on no, no. opiates. Yeah, no. And at that time, I couldn't really do anything anyway. So it was just me and 
my laptop and text used textbooks from the local colleges, anything I could get my hands on to try to figure it out because I didn't I wasn't getting any answers from the doctors. Were you so. misdiagnosed a lot? Because this, I didn't even know your thing was Lyme when we talked before. You just said, yeah, I was really sick. But my mom's had Lyme disease for oh, wow. a long time. It's in, I don't know what stage now. But oh. um, last I checked, it was not getting any better. And she went, you know, this is going back God, probably 15 years or so. I mm-hmm. think she got it. And she went through hell with insurance and with the whole medical system of being misdiagnosed. For a long time, they thought it was um, chronic fatigue syndrome and then it was fibromyalgia Mm -hmm. and there were all these things and there were things that were supposedly like psychosomatic according to the codes of the insurance Mm -hmm. company. So she had a really, really hard time and it's like even worse when you feel like shit to deal with the medical system. It's like a catch-22, right? It's a double whammy because you're having bills bounce back because your insurance like oh we don't cover that that's you know that's all in your head and you know i remember her just being like it is not in my head there's something wrong with me and it took her years to finally find out that it was in fact lyme and then at that point maybe was at the point where you were where she was almost so incapacitated she couldn't really even aggressively pursue some of the different options available in terms of healing it yeah horrible it's horrible i mean i have such a personal obviously relationship to that it's just like god i've always wanted to be able to do something yeah it infuriates me and every time i hear somebody going through it i just what kind of what kind of did they, did you have misdiagnostics or oh. did they ever tell you it's in your head like it's you're imagining this or what did you go through just dealing and you know no offense to the medical system i mean of course, of course if i break my leg i'm not going to try to heal that shit with ashwagandha like i'm going to fucking <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to cedars and i'm like getting a cast you know so it has its place and god bless all the doctors and scientists yes. and all that but you know it does have a really hard time with some things like that so were you misdiagnosed or you know, totally given the runaround in terms of getting treatment and stuff. All of those things. Yes. I was told I had MS. I had lupus. I had bone cancer. I had severe OCD. I had problems with, I needed attention. I was like, look, I get on the <laughs> stage in a bikini. I don't, I would not pretend to not be able to walk for attention. That's so weird. Why would you? And these were the special, I was waiting months to see the top doctors. So I wasn't just going to my primary care physician. I was waiting to see the top docs. And one of them said, oh, have you ever been a dancer? And I said, oh, of course, my whole life. Well, that's why you can't walk. And I was like, all my friends are dancers. What are you even talking about? And for a long time, I did have a huge vendetta against just every doctor that I met. But I've come to terms with just one, they're still learning too, like all of us. They're in a practice where they're educating and helping patients based on what they've learned and what they've been taught. And so based on that, I don't think that their intent ever was ill. It was very frustrating. And if we had talked back then, I would probably have a whole lot of other things to say. But now that you know, learning more about the medical industry and learning about what is in their textbook and how many of them actually go and do like what you and I do, where we go and just try a random shit and just to see how it is, you know, not many of them are doing that. So, yeah. And I, I forget what the, the number of hours, but when you go to med school, isn't it like you get like two hours of training on nutrition or something like mm-hmm. that? It's like, you know, there's very rigorous testing and learning and all that stuff you do to get to become an MD, but 
the talk about food and you know what the underlying issues are aren't really addressed in terms of traditional allopathic medicine versus right. like functional medicine or a naturopath where mm-hmm. you go in there and they're going to be like how's your sleep what are you eating and you know do all the testing that we're going to talk about but yeah i feel bad for people still man that just you know, like I still have friends that aren't as deep into the health stuff as me and they're having a problem. They're like, oh, I'm, I went to the, you know, my general practitioner. I'm like, God, why do you even bother? Like, try <laughs> to fix it yourself. Yes. And then if you're hitting a wall, then you go to the doctor. Like, I recently had some problems with my eyes, which I'm still kind of dealing with. And I believe I can cure myself. I've become what they call, I guess it's called nearsighted. And I started research and I was like, oh, I can totally fix this. You know, mm-hmm. guy was on uh, my friend's podcast and I was like, oh, yeah, cool. I go to see an ophthalmologist and I ask him about some of those things. I'm not like, oh, hey, there's this like fringe dude on the internet that says you can fix this. But I just asked him about some of the science. Like actually, isn't it when you're nearsighted, isn't it that uh, your eye is actually having kind of a spasm and Mm -hmm. that you're stuck in a close-up focus, which is generally caused from using computers and phones and reading books for too many years, for too many hours. He's like, yeah. And I go, so can't you like aren't there things you can do to reverse that spasm and cause your eye to relax so that it can then again focus on a a longer plane, like a a distance? He's like, oh no, that'll never work. It just goes right back. You know, his mind was totally, and this is like top Beverly Hills ophthalmologist, you know, and his mind was so close to the idea that just the concept that the human body is not meant to be sick, like he's in a paradigm well, you're, where your eyes just go bad and that's the way it is and that's normal. I'm like, no, it's not normal. It's normal that your eyes work because that's how God created them. <laughs> God damn it, you know? Yes. It's like, no, there's a way to fix, I think there's a way to fix everything mm. unless you have a limited view of the power of the universe or spirit. I mean, it might not be your karma to fix it. Like mm. I've had back problems forever. This shit is not getting fixed so far. Who knows, maybe in a past life I axed someone in their sacrum or something, you know, when I was a Viking. I don't know. I'm pay <laughs> payback or some shit. But a lot of other things have been able to be reversed just by doing the research. So Yeah. Well So so okay, so you're you're getting over some of that resentment because you're seeing the big picture now. It's not their fault. Like that's mm-hmm. just like my ophthalmologist, that's just how he was trained. You right. know, and he's trained to give people glasses and do surgery and things like that. He's not trained to like try to fix it by doing sun gazing and long distance focus and stuff, because guess what? That doesn't make any money. That's right. And I was very fortunate because I ended up with um, a newly, a, a, a PA who had just graduated. So he was like, I was kind of his first patient, I guess. He had just joined the practice of the primary care physician I was going to. And he didn't know what to do with me because I'd come in at least once a week feeling worse or some new crazy symptom that I didn't have the week before or a new pain. Um, And he at some point just stopped seeing me in the exam room and I would just go right into his office with him and we'd crack open textbooks and we'd start researching together. And because otherwise I'm just going to sit in his exam room and cry, you know, or yell or, you know, whatever emotion I was having. And I think he, his remedy to that was let's just bring the girl into the (laughs) office and let's see if we can figure this out together. I don't know how to help her. And at some point, I was basically faxing him the labs that I wanted run and what pharmaceuticals I wanted to try. Because at this point, I still didn't know that there was an alternative. I just thought maybe the next specialist would be smarter. I didn't know that there was this whole other arm of medicine that I, I hadn't explored yet. So I was asking for my own pharmaceuticals. I was ordering my own lab work. I was reading my own lab work 
you name it. And he was just kind of letting me run with it. And it's interesting because I ran into him probably two years after I got better at the gym. And he's like, man, he's like, so good to see you. I was really worried about you. Well, and he should have been. He told me to just file for disability and just be in bed the rest of my life. So he's like, what was it? Like, what did it end up being? And I was like, man, it was was Lyme disease. And he's like, I would have never thought to have checked for that. And so it's great because now he remembers what it was like to deal with me. And now he'll never miss a Lyme diagnosis again. Right? I mean, (laughs) you were so fortunate, too, to get a doctor that was willing to kind of play ball like that, too. Mm -hmm. I mean... I've never been to a quote-unquote normal doctor where they're like, cool, let's do some research. Like, let's, let's get to the bottom of this. They're, they're like, all right. They just immediately whip out the prescription pad. Mm-hmm. They don't want to answer any of my dumb hippie questions mm-hmm. uh, and or else they, like, suggest surgery. I mean, that's always the thing I end up with with my back is like, okay, cool. Go get an MRI, da, da, da. And I'm like, I know where this rabbit hole is going. The rabbit hole is going to you want to put some staples in my goddamn spine. <laughs> and that may or may not work, but I'm just like, there has to be another way. So you're really lucky. And I, I just yeah. feel for you. I, I relate to the part, too, where you know, you're into fitness, you're doing fitness modeling, you're living in a gym, you're I'm probably eating pretty close to like a healthy diet at that point, even, you know, oh, I'm yeah. sure it's improved a lot. But it's like, that's even worse. Because you're, I can see where you'd be like, dude, what the hell? Like, I'm doing everything right. I don't deserve this. Whereas if you're sitting around watching soap operas, eating Domino's pizzas all day and like mm-hmm. drinking vodka for breakfast, and then you get sick, it's kind of like, well, all right, fair's fair, you know? <laughs> it's like, I, I asked for it. But when you're not doing anything that's, you know, known to cause those kind of mm-hmm. issues, it's sort of like, what the hell? I mean, I even have this sometimes now because it's, as obviously you know, and anyone listening to the show, I'm pretty into being healthy and in all different ways on different levels. And I still have issues that I can't seem to fix. And it pisses me off more yeah. than probably the average person because I'm like, but, but, but I'm doing everything right. Like what could possibly mm-hmm. be the problem? You know, there's still some stones unturned. So I, I feel your pain and frustration and being like, God, you know, I'm I'm at the gym more than all my dumb friends and they're living the dream and I'm yeah. here sick. That must have been really hard. That was the second worst part. The first worst part was knowing that I hadn't taught people the right things. That oh, really right. Because really you're working as a me. personal trainer mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, do this, do that. Yeah. And then you're like, oops. Yeah, because then I didn't know what I had been doing wrong because there was no diagnosis at that time. So for all I knew, I'd been telling people the wrong diet or I, in any case, I had gotten it wrong. And I never want to tell somebody the wrong thing especially when their health is involved or once I've developed a relationship with someone where they, they trust me, it's really important that, that I live up to the expectations and the rightful expectations of that type of relationship. And so to know that now I can't go train them because I can't even get out of bed just felt the worst because now I'm not only am I sick and I can't take care of me, but I can't even do what brings me the most joy in life, which is to help other people. I mean, that's how I feel most full. So then when I had to go inward and think about me, which is what's weird for me in general anyway, I was a mom at a very young age. So I never really did the inward thing. I was did like the high school thing and then I would, did the mom thing. They ran parallel. So I didn't really know how to focus on me. And then I felt like I was just wasting time. I don't. I didn't like being so inward focused, but I knew if I didn't get better, then 
I wasn't going to be around to help anybody else get better or at least make what I had said wrong, make that right. And isn't it wonderful that your suffering now has turned into a life where actually what you do every day is help other people. Mm -hmm. How fantastic is that? Isn't that funny how you look back? I mean, I think of all the ways in which I've suffered, most of uh, which were self-imposed. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And it's like having gone through the fire in so many ways, at least you can come out of the other side and you have like a certain depth to you and a body of knowledge that you were sort of forced to amass during mm-hmm. that period. And now like I sit down in your office, I'm like, damn, this chick knows a lot of stuff. I mean, there's so much for me to learn from someone like you. And that wouldn't have been the case. I wouldn't be able to benefit had you been like your healthy gym rat friends that just went yeah. on and lived happily ever after. Are there any known conspiracies or ideas about the origin of Lyme, or is it really just some weird thing that ticks carry and give to people? I mean, in your research, did you find any nefarious sort of, you know, leanings online or anything like that? Because it seems like such a weird and fairly recent thing. I mean, it just mm-hmm. kind of popped up on the East Coast. When was that? Do you know? In the- I want to say it was in the... 70s, That's what I thought too. Like yeah, that. it's just like, oh, all of a sudden in the history of mankind, we don't have this thing and then just boop, it just appears mm-hmm. and it's deadly, really, essentially. I mean, yeah. eventually, right? Oh, for sure. Do you, I mean, have you heard any f- funny business in the forums about like where that may have come from? Not to say that you believe it, but mm-hmm. I'm just curious, as I said, because it's something pretty close to home. Yeah, so I've heard a lot, a lot because I've met a lot of people with Lyme disease and, and everybody has their own theory about it um it being the the outbreak originally being in lyme connecticut there's an island off of lyme connecticut that they say they do all kinds of biological warfare research and that there's a fairy that goes back and forth and somebody left the ticks out so or they just got out and ended up on the boat and then ended up you know in lyme connecticut and biting everybody and i don't know that i believe that just because more recent research has found that um, the bacteria, which is actually not Lyme disease, is just called Lyme disease because of the original outbreak being in Lyme, Connecticut. But uh, the bacteria itself has been around. They're able to uh, go back oh, like hundreds of, maybe even thousands of years so far. I'm not even sure what the current data shows, but that this has just been a bacteria that's been around for a long time. And it's just becoming um, more recognized because prior to it being Lyme, it was arthritis. Oh, okay. Or it was was an autoimmune condition or it was something else and they didn't know the bacteria until the, the guy Borealis found it and said, oh, here's a bacteria. And now they're able to make the connection between some of these symptoms that were previously diagnosed as something else, now they're calling it Lyme because it's not necessarily arthritis on its own. It's arthritis arthritis by way of Lyme disease. Interesting. So it's kind of an underlying issue that manifests in a number of different ways, mm-hmm. right? Which yeah. makes it, I'm sure, that adds to the complexity of properly diagnosing and, of course, treating it. For sure. So it's a bacteria that ticks carry mm-hmm. and doesn't the proliferation of ticks have to do with the population of deer in an area? Like, isn't it worse where there's tons of deer that are not being hunted enough? Because I've heard hunters say like, oh, we need to hunt. You need to give us more permits for deer, mm. for deer kills, because that keeps down the Lyme uh, uh, incidence. 
Because if there's an, an over um, abundance of deer, then there's an overabundance of ticks. Do you know any correlation there? Or I think that nature is just nature, and yeah. I and the and ticks will live off of whatever they can feed off of. Right. And I don't think that they have any particular special relationship with deer. I'm sure that they, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I think, think they're of, on mice and they're, they're all yeah, over yeah, yeah. the place. I just, I think, I think in like cartoon terms. So I'm picturing like, cause a deer's bigger, it's mm -hmm. host to more ticks. So I'm picturing like a wooded forest in New <laughs> England or some shit that's like overrun with deer and each deer is like a factory of lime ticks <laughs> and they're just spewing out all over your backyard and then your kids play out there and they get lime and then they get autism mm -hmm. and this and that and then they die. Uh, it's like a zombie apocalypse sort of viewpoint. So, mm -hmm. okay, so this, so the tick bites you, and then this bacteria gets in your bloodstream, yeah. and then what happens? What are these spirochetes? Yeah, or spirocets spir or spirochetes. Oh, spirochetes. Okay, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And that's like the little critters that. Yes, they're like spiral. They're able to basically screw into the tissue of your body and evade your immune system, so they can lay dormant for a very long time, and sometimes forever. They may never actually show up. You may never have symptoms, even if you have it. Uh, I've heard somebody recently say that within probably 10 years or so, it's just going to be a thing that most people have it. It can be detected in them, but whether or not it's expressing itself or showing up in symptoms, the question is how many people will actually express it. But for the most part, people right. will, will be a carrier of it. Like HPV. <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> It's like the HPV of the woods. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a, it's really <laughs> scary. <laughs> I'm ridiculous. It's super scary. I have a friend named Daniel Vitalis who is a, a guest on the show, and uh, I've been a guest on his show. And he's mm -hmm. a great guy, and I love his work. But his his whole thing is rewilding, and so he's he lives like basically like a modern Aboriginal. You know, he's just mm -hmm. really into natural living, and he spends a lot of time outdoors hunting and fishing, and he lives on this sort of you know great piece of land in Maine, and he's always inviting me out there and. I don't want to go in the winter because that sucks. <laughs> yeah, It's under a bunch of snow and there's not like a ski mountain there or something cool as far as I know. Um, so I was going to go out there in October and and I was still paranoid about the ticks. And he's like, bro, it's no big deal. Like when I, I go out hunting or fishing and then when I come home, you just check yourself for ticks and you just pull them off. And then you go, you get the dog and you just pull the ticks off the dog. It's all good. Like don't trip, don't be a puss, you know? And I'm like, dude. I'm not going out and walking through the woods and then coming home with ticks on me. I'm not mm -hmm. cool with that. Like, especially because of my mom. I mean, it's like, sure. what has happened to her life as a result of this disease is just, I mean, I wouldn't wish that upon Hitler. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just really, really gnarly. So I, I didn't want to go. And then finally, you know, he, I caved and I was going to go out in October and then our schedules ended up getting messed up and I didn't go. But I really, really wanted to go on that trip. But secretly I was relieved because <laughs> I was like, that, that might have been the trip I was going to get Lyme and then bring it back to California. And it's just like, I'm so paranoid because it's so devastating. Well, it's really everywhere. And, and I never... I never was hiking or camping or anything. That's never you been outdoorsy. No, I was living in New York. Oh, well, did you spend any time upstate, like out mm -mm, in the woods? Never. Or? Really? Never. What the f? Never. I was only now. It makes sense that I would have gotten it in New York because that's. I mean, it's the, just the yeah easiest area to have gotten it. But I was only in the grass in Westchester County, which is. You know, thirty-minute train that's ride from the that, city. Yeah, no, it's not, not that north. Woodsy or rural mm -hmm. or anything. Yeah, God, no, I was that's in the city. So gnarly. Mm -hmm. Is it? Um, is there any evidence of it being um, 
you know, contagious or anything like that? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yep. Yes. So do you think you had a Lyme-infected boyfriend at some point? <laughs> <laughs> you know, anything is possible. I don't remember being bit by a tick, but yeah. Um, man, yeah, it's definitely, and it's not even just ticks. They found it in mosquitoes. They found it. Ah, uh, come it's on. Not, it's not just. It's just so uncool. I'm going to have to live in a bubble. No, there's lots well, of things to do. That sucks because, t- yeah, we're going to find out what you do too, and that's going to be the, the meat of this show, but Ticks in particular, it's not just the Lyme, but ticks are so gross to me because once when I was a kid, I was at this weird, um, it was in Colorado and my stepmother at the time probably just wanted to get rid of me because I was such a pain in the ass when I was a kid. But they sent me to this like Christian summer camp Mm -hmm. out in the woods and uh, that was fucking horrible. They would, because I was super into heavy metal when I was a little kid. Like I lived for Black Sabbath, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I went to this um, little Christian summer camp and it was, I don't know, it was in the early 80s when like heavy metal was the devil, like Judas Priest mm-hmm. and all this music. And there was all the white right wing Christians were like against heavy metal. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it was like an anti heavy metal summer camp, you know? And so there's <laughs> all these lectures about like how listening to that music, then the, you become satanic and the devil's going to get you. I digress. One morning I'm at the little breakfast, you know, uh, area and I reach behind my ear and like scratch my ear and I pull my hand out and it's just covered in blood. And I freak out and I go to the nurse and they get some tweezers and they pick this giant tick off from right behind my ear, like where your ear would be pierced, like right behind the earlobe. Mm-hmm. And it had burrowed in there, I don't know, at some point on in the summer camp and just grown and grown and swelled up with blood to the point where like, you know, it yeah. exploded in my hand. And that was like my first and I think actually... Maybe I had one other tick on me at some point or something. You know, you had you like burn it with a match head to yes. get it to let go or something. They're just like, of all the gross parasitic creatures, they're just like the mm-hmm. nastiest. Yes, for sure. So anyway, so you go through this torture of being sick, seeing doctors. Oh, nothing's mm-hmm. wrong with you. It's in your head. You're battling insurance. You're spending money. It's a pain in the ass. All your friends are still healthy. It hurts even more because you've worked so hard on your body and you've been aware of what you eat and exercise and all that stuff. So what was the turning point at which a solution started to appear? My dad heard a doctor on a talk show on the radio. And at this time, the hospital had just recently, I had gone into the emergency room because my kidneys were failing. And they said, you know, everything's shutting down. We don't really know what's going on. So um, he said, you know, you need to go and talk to these guys because We've tried everything else. We pretty much don't have any other options. So, you know, I'll pay for it for you. So go go talk to these guys. So I went in with a bad attitude and I went in and let them talk and had already decided how I felt. So was totally closed-minded. I was just doing it for my parents because I know it was hard for them to see me going through that. Then um, they told me how much it was going to cost and I thought they were crazy. And... Uh, there was nobody there in the waiting room. And so I'm just looking around, just being logical and rational. I'm like, what y'all do here is, you know, so great. Why, <laughs> Why is where's it all the people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, where yeah. are all the people? And I didn't mean to be a bitch, but I was just trying to understand how you could present that kind of costly treatment and nobody's here. That's funny. I've I've experienced the opposite where I go into like there's a, a chiropractor that I love down in Huntington Beach named Dr. Bergman. I'm going to get him on the show eventually. And you go in Dr. Bergman's office 
dude, it is like an assembly line. They're just churning through people, and they're all different nationalities from mm-hmm. all over the world. People fly all over, and his office is just packed with people. And I went there just seeing that. I was like, I'm good. This is the spot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like everyone's figured it out. So that's funny, though. It happened in the opposite way. You're like going, why is this place so dead if you guys are charging this much if you're that badass? So what ended up happening? Were you yeah. proven wrong? Oh, for sure. And, you know, and this was a time before, like when gluten-free was just starting to be talked about. So that was not even a section in the grocery store at this time. So alternative medicine was really weird. And I was living in Arizona at the time. So it's the most lenient, at the time it was the most lenient state as far as treatments were concerned. So yes, I, I left there saying, oh, I'll let you know. And had another serious episode with a seizure and just kind of freaked me out. And I was like, I got to do something. So I, I called them up and I said, hey, I'm not going to spend as much money as you suggested, but I'm willing to at least meet you somewhere in the middle. So what's something that you would recommend? They said, well, we have this one treatment. It's a shot. It's a neuropeptide. Your body makes it. Your body knows what to do with it. Uh, we'll give you a shot and you'll be able to, to walk and have no pain. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll take that. I'll, you know, that's was only a couple hundred versus a couple thousand for the total treatment. So I thought, well, that's a gamble I'm willing to take. So I went, got the shot, went home, fell asleep, woke up, and the pain was gone. Wow. Yeah, pretty wild. So You know what everyone is listening wants to know right now? What the hell is this neuropeptide shot? <laughs> I know. It, it's And it's something that I've been even looking for because... So many years went by that I never really thought about it for a while because I was totally into like traditional Chinese medicine and stuff. And and now um, I'm in a, in a position where I want access to that to be able to give people access to that. So I'm still looking for it because the clinic that I went to, I'm not in touch with anymore. And anyway, I'm looking for it. But it was, a, a, I want to say it was like a VIP peptide or a, a vasoimmunopeptide or something like that. And um I was obviously back at the office the next day because I'm like, so about the other things you recommended, I think I might be ready now. And I started feeling better within a week. Um, they still didn't know that it was Lyme. They just said, hey, here's how you're designed. It's immaculate. It's a perfect design. Our bodies know what to do. We just have to make sure that your liver, your kidneys, your organs, your immune system, everything is supported and optimized so that it can go in and do what it's designed to do. And it just seemed too simple. But I was like, man, I'm, 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 I'm in for whatever that is. Because for the first time, I felt like me probably had been two years since I'd felt good. So I would sit in this room with a bunch of other people getting their therapies who had come from all over the, you know, the country and listening to their stories and just mind blown by how awesome the body is. And you really just need to support the system and you just need to understand how it all works synergistically, the synthesis of things, the pathways. And once you know that and you can support it, miracles happen in our bodies every single day and we just don't know about it. So I just love the idea that that I had I was forced to kind of sit in that space and listen to people talk about it. So it wasn't just wasn't just me making things up or it wasn't just me. It wasn't placebo at all. It was actually listening to people who had come from the East Coast and one woman had been told, Oh, just go home, say goodbye to your family. And um she had breast cancer and the tumors were disappearing and 
you can't unlearn that stuff. You know, you can't get textbooks. You can't get cool old medical books like that experience that I got. And to me, that was the most valuable for sure. And what were some of the other things that those guys ended up trying on you that had a positive effect? Ozone. Oh, the ozone, mm-hmm. huh? Yeah. And how was that administered in like intravenously mm-hmm. or you breathed it in or what? Yeah, intravenous. Did some ozone sauna therapy. And what does that feel like when, when that's in you? Do you notice anything as you start to be administered that treatment? Just energy. Oh, okay. You know, nothing. So you don't get like lightheaded? No. Or... I got most, I got very sick from, I did a lot of IVs. I did high dose vitamin C therapy. How many doses is a high dose uh, vitamin C therapy? Because no, people do this for cancer and stuff a lot. Yeah. I never asked, honestly. Oh, okay. I never even asked them, what do you, what is it? I wish I had now. Looking back, I'd like to, if I, if there was a way to time travel, I'd totally go back in time and right. pull out my notebook and be like, okay, and how many grams are you giving me today? But I never asked because I just felt good and I didn't even care. Right. At so that point, think, I didn't even care. Do you think they were giving you the equivalent of like what they would give a cancer patient, sure. like hardcore? It was hardcore. C? Yeah, and yeah. it made me very sick. Uh, I would leave there and sometimes pull over on the side of the road to throw up. Oh, interesting. Because I, it was a day, day and a half of feeling like this is not working, but I knew it was. I felt as bad as I had before, but it was a different kind of bad. If that makes sense, you know, when you're getting yeah. better and you're like. I don't feel good, but I just know that this is part of the healing process. And so I would just always stick it out. So I went through fevers and night sweats and just terrible symptoms of the die off. Right. And again, right. we still at this point didn't know it was Lyme. Wow. But my immune system was like, yeah. Right. You know, I know right. what to do. You know, now I'm supported. I have, you know, all of the weapons I need. So now I can do what I was designed to do. And with the intravenous uh, vitamin C, just so people that aren't familiar with this stuff get get a concept of it, and, and just we're going to go into like nutrient IVs and stuff because mm-hmm. it's just my favorite thing ever, and I know it's what you do now. But why someone would want to take vitamin C intravenously versus like trying to take twenty five, you know, pills is because your gastrointestinal mm-hmm. tract can't handle the vitamin C, so you inject it. Is that the idea? Yeah, that's and that's a portion of it. Okay. Also, some people can't have high dose vitamin C. You need to have labs done oh, prior okay. to to make sure because it can be very dangerous. It's not something that. You can just walk in off the street anywhere that does IV therapy and be like, give me all the vitamin C you have because it's it doesn't quite work like that and it can be very dangerous and it for sure needs to be administered by a professional, somebody who understands how intravenous, you'd think it's safe because it's just a vitamin, but that's not the case. It's a little more complex than that. So um, yeah, it's... So I shouldn't get out a needle and spoon and no, a lighter no. and cook up some <laughs> vitamin no, please C. Please do not. Please <laughs> do not it, do that. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> do not self-administer high-dose injectable vitamin no, C. No, please do not. Well, that's the thing, too, that is just weird to me about uh, the IV of vitamin C because it's at least in the, what's it called? Exorb, ascorbic acid? Ascorbic acid. As, ascorbic acid. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's acid. I mean, it's very acidic. If you take vitamin C and let it dissolve in your mouth, mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, oh God, that feels like it would burn the shit out of your veins. So yeah. is, is the vitamin C that same kind, which I'm not going to try a third time to pronounce <laughs> it. That word just gets me. Uh, is it the same version or is it like an ester C or some other it's, it's just form a, of it? It's a pharmaceutical 
chemical compound of vitamins of ascorbic acid. So that's right. it's synthetic version of you know what nature has made, but in a right. way that your body can understand and utilize. And and in your bloodstream, you know, it, it deals with it differently than if it has to pass through your digestive system. So because that can cause people a lot of uh, discomfort and gas and bloating and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. Like I know if I've had a cold, I'm like, oh cool, I'm going to take ten, you know, thousand milligram vitamin C's, and I'm like, oh, doubled over with cramps yeah. later on. You know, yeah. you don't want to mess around with no. trying to overdose yourself. Okay, so so you start doing the the CIVs and the ozone therapy. You have mm-hmm. a lot of die off symptoms, and you know yeah. the detox and the whole thing, which is the sort of precursor to the healing and feeling better. So how long of a period of time was this? Well, because we didn't know it was Lyme at that time, I did six weeks worth of treatments. I also did intravenous multivitamins. I was doing minerals in addition to the vitamin C. It was multivitamins. And I was doing intravenous hydrogen peroxide. Whoa. So... Serious biohacking stuff. Yeah, fun stuff. Like That's I said, cool. I wish I, I wish I could hop back there and like learn right, more. Because at the and time you're just sick, and you're like, you guys just do whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even care what, how much, what you're doing. Just fucking make me better. Yeah. Right. And now you're like, oh shit, I, what were they doing with the hydrogen <laughs> yes. peroxide? Yeah. That's, I totally understand that. Yeah. Okay. And so, at what point did you consider yourself cured, and the symptoms had been alleviated, and your labs were coming back? not showing those things, like what happened next? Uh, it took about a year before they even diagnosed the Lyme. Wow. For it to show and were up. were you feeling better mm-hmm. during that period? I would have like these flare-ups where I'd feel awesome and then I would go do my thing and then I would just be exhausted. And they found hypothyroidism. So of course I was like, why? Why would I have hypothyroidism? I'm super healthy and I'm still taking care of myself and I did all these treatments. I should be past this. And they found my adrenals weren't working. They said, You'll, your adrenals will never work on their own again. You need to take cortisol for the rest of your life. And I was like, well, why? That doesn't make any sense. You know, I'm doing all the right things and then some. So finally, somebody said, did y'all ever test her for Lyme disease? And they didn't because I just felt so good. And I didn't care anymore. And they didn't care anymore. That was good. So we finally ran the test. I did another series, about 12 weeks of treatments. This time, intravenous colloidal silver. Whoa, cool. Yeah. You've done all kinds of rad shit. I didn't yeah. know you could do that. Yeah. So I did that. And then... Um, Which is like an antibacterial and yeah. antifungal, right? Yeah. It, right. Yeah. Pretty much just about anything it touches is... Except the good stuff. Right. Isn't that crazy how a lot of those you know, herbs and um, essential oils and things like that and colloidal silver, it's so trippy to me how those compounds know how to only go after the bad bacteria. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. Like versus a man-made antibiotic, right? Just kills everything. So you do a round of antibiotics, you just destroy your whole gut flora because totally. it does not discriminate. But you could take like clove oil or oregano or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh yeah, we leave all the good stuff alone. Isn't that amazing? I just love oh, cool. nature, the way yeah. that it's designed. Wow, cool. Okay, so so they finally test you, and they're like, oh, doi, she has Lyme. Yeah. Okay. And then I did doxycycline, which they still recommended, even though I had access to all the other natural treatments and remedies. It is the go-to thing, and I still will, if I meet somebody, and they're like, well, I don't really want to go the antibiotics round. I'm like, listen, just throw it in there for good measure, because it's, it is effective. It really did, for sure. It made a huge dent in it for me, so... Doxycycline, you have to flip back and forth between different medications because 
it's somewhat of a shape shifter where it will go bacteria to fungus. It kind of just sheds its outer layer and turns into, in, into something else. So you have to go doxycycline for a week or whatever the protocol is and then switch over to flagyl or flagyl. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's an antifungal. So you go back and forth. and uh, Between you, like an antibiotic and an antifungal. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. See, that's where these conspiracies about Lyme come from because the shape-shifting stuff. Like how can it be one thing one day and another thing the next day? It's bizarre. I had an assistant at my office that I worked at in Arizona who was pre-med and I used to tell her, it was after I had gotten better and I would tell her, hey, when you become a doctor, can you please make sure you don't do this, 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 or that? And uh, she didn't believe me about that particular bacteria. She's like, there's no way, Wendy. She's like, there's no way that it can do that. And then one day she comes into my office and she's like, I saw it myself. She's like, our biology class today, we pulled out the microscopes and we watched. We watched a little spiracet just we did a little drop of doxycycline on it and just bloop into like no a fungus. She's way. like, I would have never believed it if I hadn't seen it myself. So that little minute bastard creature mm-hmm. has the intelligence. It's like a mini alien like movie. It's like <laughs> yes. so it has this defense mechanism, the survival mechanism, whereas you attack it with an antibiotic while it's a bacteria, which would kill a bacteria. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, psych, now I'm a fungus. Your shit, totally. it's like, your shit doesn't work on me. Yes. So you need another form of kryptonite when it becomes the fungus and you sort of alternate between mm-hmm. those two until eventually you beat it down. You just got to wear it down and then your immune system can, yeah, it's, it, you really have to call in all forces right. when it comes to that particular And disease. at the same time, what are you doing to repopulate your gut floor and the good bacteria and to boost your immune system so that it can kind of keep ahead of it? Mm-hmm. That's for, That was a lot of the IV therapy okay. and the, the vitamin C therapy and some supplementation. We used a couple of different supplements. I really wasn't on that many, believe it or not. And at the time, I didn't know. They didn't really talk a lot about the microbiome and how important it was to repopulate after you've used antibiotics. That was just kind of starting to be talked about. So probiotics we did, but knowing what I know now, there's probably definitely a better way to kind of hack that system or at least add in some other things to make it more effective and quicker. Right. So at what point did you consider yourself cured and you're like feeling amazing like you are now? Mm, That took, honestly, that took probably another three years. Wow. And how much money do you think you spent out of pocket on your whole treatment just in terms of getting over Lyme? Over $50,000 easy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, probably more than that over the course of the following three years were mostly when I started incorporating the foods and learning about the herbs and essential oils and stuff because at that point I didn't have any more money for therapy. Right. All I had was my food budget. Right. Isn't that that the bitch about natural healing and becoming your own doctor? Which, by the way, I think I thought of a name for the... You always have to think of a cute name for the episode. I think Mm -hmm. this one's going to have something to do with becoming your own doctor. Mm -hmm. Like how to avoid med school and still be a doctor. I don't know, something (laughs) something to that effect. I'll I'll work on it. But um, that's the thing that sucks when you get sick at that level is mm-hmm. you're incapacitated and you can't work, but your health insurance isn't going to cover any of the cool shit that you want to do, like ozone and IV peroxide and all this stuff. Your mm-hmm. insurance company is like, uh, yeah, right. That's like a bunch of woo-woo hippie stuff. We don't make money on that. It's anything outside of the pharmaceutical paradigm sort of gets 
poo-pooed, mm-hmm. even though it's really a lot of the time very effective if you're going to someone knowledgeable. So that sucks. Like you can't work and make money because you feel like shit. Right. But everything you want to do to get well costs a lot of money. I mean, that's the thing about these alternative therapies and stuff. They're not cheap. I mean, if no. you just want to go do... You know, um, IVs, they are expensive if you need as many as you're talking about. And even doing like um, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, Mm -hmm. like I do a lot of those. And it's like, dude, I I forget, but it's like a hundred bucks for two hours or something. If you wanted to do a full on like cancer level treatment of just oxygen, yeah, it's going to cost you like a thousand dollars a week or something. You know what I mean? It's like, it's when you said 50, I was like, "Mm, she must be underestimating, you know, because like that stuff gets so Mm -hmm. expensive. Well, I did the therapy. I did a six week round and I did a 12 week round, and that was the extent of my budget. And everything else was just hit or miss. <laughs> you know, a right. lot of science projects. You right. can, there was a lot of science projects for sure. So, what did you start doing in terms of changing your diet? Because I know. You know, a lot of people that have come out of the fitness, I think the fitness world's kind of catching on now. You know, have your mm-hmm. own CrossFit, like worldwide community. And I think people are getting into paleo diets and, you know, diets that we seem more naturally um, tuned in with uh, yeah. <laughs> based on our biology. And then even a lot of people seeming to have success with the vegan route and all that. Uh, but years ago, like, I would see, like, my brother was really into fitness, and now he's very progressive. But back in the day, going back 15 years, he was like, you know, the stuff he would eat, like, four chicken breasts from El Pollo Loco. I need the protein. And I'm like, oh, God, do you know about the antibiotics and, you know, this and that? It's Mm -hmm. like, I think a lot of people in the fitness world thought they were eating healthy, but they were really eating like shit. Like, they're not eating any fat. You know, this is going back before, like, good fats were cool. So... What happened in terms of the changes in your diet coming out of the, you know, strong fitness background and then getting sick, starting to get well? What were some of the powerful food changes you made to also um, improve your healing? One of the first things is I stopped using Splenda. That was so bad. Smart move. I, uh, <laughs> I didn't Smart know. Yeah, Honestly, yeah. I, everybody, all of my friends were, you know, the Splenda was in your protein shakes. It was in everything. So that yeah, and sucralose too. And that started yeah. at the very beginning of the treatments. The naturopath was like, "Get, get off that stuff." Is Splenda as bad as aspartame, or is it the same? Is it the same? I think it's equally as. I think it they're is, yeah. equally as bad, maybe in different ways, but equally. Oh, man, that's for you guys listening. Just don't drink Diet Coke, man. <laughs> it's. I feel like I want to cry when I. I feel better when I see someone smoking a cigarette, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like someone smoking, I'm like, oh, that's cool, tobacco, whatever. If I see someone drinking a Diet Coke, I'm just like, no. I mean, if you do a little research on artificial sweeteners, it's so gnarly. So Splenda had to go. What mm-hmm. else? I had to take out like all the processed proteins, so like the whey, the stuff that I was using as just a, at least two times a day, some of the processed protein powders and a lot of the supplementation that are supposed to help you be healthy. Right, like the gym the gym diet stuff. Yeah. So about protein powders, because I do a considerable amount of like legit expensive grass-fed whey that's not denatured. It's like really stable and it's been protected from heat and light and is super chronic. I mean, do you think protein powders, even the really good ones, are not so great? Or was it just those like commodity like GNC type shitty ones that you were perhaps eating. So I think that anytime you can get real food the real way, that's what you need to do. I think only in extreme circumstances in which you just like, I have no other option. I guess I'm going to have to have this protein shake. Then there's definitely some that are better than others. But 
overall, there's something to be said about just real live food that has been part of our lives forever. And as soon as you start running that through labs and running it through processing plants and you have a chemist back there trying to create a flavor profile, it's just not right. Your body doesn't know what to do with that stuff. So I have an overall opinion about all the processed foods, so including protein powders. I don't think we need to supplement protein. I think we need protein in our diets, but not so much that we have to actually throw in a shake every once in a while. Right. Yeah, my, <laughs> you're like, yeah, if you're in an extreme situation or whatever, I'm like, mm. my extreme situation is I've got to record a podcast today. Mm. I have to do this. I have to do that. Like, mm. I'll just go take four huge scoops of whey in water. I mm-hmm. don't even care what it tastes like. I'm yeah. just like, okay, that was my lunch. You know, it's like, I know. I'm, whole, honestly, for me, whole foods are tough. Like, I'm pretty big on the quick, easy fixes like yeah. that because I suck at cooking. I don't mm. like cooking and I don't mm. have time to cook. You know, yep. it's like. So I end up eating a lot of like healthy processed foods, which I I agree just on an intuitive level when I hear you say that. I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like for lunch today, I went and had uh, half a dozen oysters on the way here. Good for you. Which is like real protein and real fats and real minerals and really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And I realized how quick that was. But that was also 25 bucks for six oysters that did fuck all to fill me up. Like Mm -hmm. I I walked out of there going, I'm starving. (laughs) I I just ate a $25 lunch of like, it was like eating air, you know? Yeah. And all that has to be taken into consideration. You know, you have to be realistic. I mean, there's an ideal way to do things, but then there's also reality. And reality is people are in a hurry and people are trying to do the best at everything, be the best executive, be the best parent, be the best spouse. And all of that takes time. So for sure, anything that's going to be the least amount processed that that you can get your hands on, if it's a whey product, then something that's been grass fed, something that's organic, you know, there's definitely things to to make sure on the label if you're getting a food that's in a, a container, you know, you want to make sure it's there's no GMOs and, you know, added antibiotics and stuff like that. But in a perfect world, yes, real food is where it's at. In a perfect world, you would, I think like, uh, you know, again, my friend Daniel, who I reference a lot just because I respect his work and the way that he views things, but he has like a hierarchy of food and the highest is wild foods mm-hmm. that have not been hybridized, have not been industrialized or farmed in any way. It's like he goes and collects acorns and makes acorn flour to like, that's so like, cool. that's like his, you know, carbs, I guess, you know, but he's just totally <laughs> like a madman. Yeah. I think he's on like 80% wild. And then the next would be like heirloom variety foods mm-hmm. and animals, you know, from farmer's markets. Right. And then the next level down is like organic food that at least hasn't been poisoned, you know, and things like that. And right. then, and so on and so on. Until you get down to, you know, like your GMO, Costco, bulk commodity food and fast food from Wendy's and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I think it's a healthy way to look at it where you're not, you don't have to beat yourself up then if you're not perfect. So I'm like, oh my God, I shouldn't be having whey. Well, at least if I'm going to have whey, like spend five bucks more and get the grass fed, like stuff that hasn't been, you know, molecularly destroyed and become basically inert or inflammatory, you know. So there's ways you can like geek out and get too controlling and weird which is just as bad as it's a different kind of toxin to your body right the orthorexic control freak (laughs) toxin i've experienced that one a lot so you got rid of some of the processed foods even Mm. quote-unquote processed health foods and supplements and stuff like that and the fake sugars and all that crap 
what were some of the foods that you started to add to your diet that contributed to your healing? I did a fast, just um, basically a juice fast for a couple of days. And then I went and I felt so incredible that I, because I, I thought for sure I was going to like shrink or blow up because I wasn't eating all protein all day long. And then I did raw foods. I did just a raw food diet for about eight weeks, which I loved. I loved how I felt on it too much time, too too much time. But man, I felt really good on that. And then little by little, I just started adding in things that just felt good. I just became very aware, especially during the fasting time, of how foods made me feel. And I, I realized at that point, I never taught people how to pay attention to what their bodies needed. I just said, okay, it's 10 o'clock. Here it is, 10 o'clock, you do this. Instead, it was so empowering to me to learn that I can actually just get very in tune to what I'm looking for, even what is the hunger signal. Am I hungry or am I bored or am I stressed and frustrated? And those are things I never taught and I never thought about. So I enjoyed the raw foods and the fasting just for perspective and for energy, but then, you know, life is, doesn't allow for that all the time. So then little by little, I, I brought back in um, some like legumes and lentils and, and cooked foods, but I didn't bring meat back in for a long time. It took a while just because I had so much energy not digesting meat and I wasn't losing any muscle mass and I was still really strong in the gym. And, and that was a bit of a science project to me as well because I was for sure just, I had mentally prepared to have to rebuild my body by not having protein and not having meat but or eggs even. So I was really, I was vegan for a while, but that's not always the healthiest route either I found. But it was very cool to, to realize that all the stuff I had learned wasn't necessarily true. I didn't, I didn't shrink just because I wasn't eating chicken every two hours. Yeah, I mean, don't you think that each person's body, of course, has a unique signature mm -hmm. and does better on certain foods For than sure. others, right? And then we'll, I want to talk about food sensitivities and stuff definitely too. But I mean, just baseline. I mean, I know people that just, I don't know, they eat red meat. It's not, they have nothing against it. It just doesn't really agree with them. Their mm -hmm. body's like, eh, don't need much of that or, or that at yeah. all. And um, so they eat fish or something like that. But even within that, in my own experience, there's been seasons to what my body seems to acclimate toward and prefer. You know, it's like there was a period where I did tons of juice fasting and all that too. And I never went totally raw, but I ate a lot of raw food and I was a vegetarian for many years and I've tried all kinds of different things. And I think they served me up until a certain point. And then because of that sort of body awareness and listening and learning more and keeping an open mind that... I ended up, I mean, I eat vastly different than I ever have in my life now. And it's just because I'm listening to my body and what it wants. Mm -hmm. You know, I would love to be a vegan. It sounds like a really nice thing. You know, I like cows. I don't want to go like, you know, kill a cow, which actually this summer I'm going to the Bel Campo meat camp and I'm going to go Ooh. to the, I'm going to go to the slaughterhouse and I'm going to witness the slaughter of cows and then decide if I still want to eat meat. Maybe I'll even, maybe they'll let me participate and see if I'm, if I can, you know, <laughs> that's the thing when you eat meat and you're not willing to go hunt and kill mm -hmm. animals yourself it's kind of weird we're very disconnected another conversation yeah 
um, I don't want to get sidetracked on that, but I've, you know, I tried to be a vegetarian just really for like health and moral reasons. But when I was doing it, this is going back, you know, probably over 15 years ago or something when I started. Yeah, it was actually probably 18 years ago. And, you know, I, because I didn't want to be mean to animals and I watched a documentary about factory farms and like mm-hmm. hidden camera stuff. I got totally freaked out. I was like, fuck that. I'm never going to be participating in hurting an animal and all that. And then also at that time, you couldn't get you like you couldn't go and meet the farmer and get your animal products from them and make sure that the animals are being treated with fairness and dignity and kindness and being, you know, executed in a humane way and that they weren't being fed all kinds of GMO weird shit. Mm -hmm. It was like either McDonald's or you're a vegetarian. At least that's what I thought. So Mm -hmm. I was like, well, I'm not going to eat that meat. I'm not going to Ralph's and like eating their mystery meat, like hamburger. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So I just was like, took it all off the table and did all that cleansing and fasting. But it seems to me that there's different seasons for your own health journey. Like at some point I could probably, I might scale back the amount of fat I eat and really start doing more green juice and green smoothies and like a lot more vegetables because that's what's sort of called for. So in your journey, have you found that your body's told you, hey, more or less of this and you learn how to identify those signals and honor them? Yeah, for sure. And even just in studying different cultures, because when I had to go primarily to food to continue my healing process, I was like, well, what's the oldest medicine that's been around? I'm going to go learn from them. And it's all been seasonal. We didn't have strawberries in the grocery store all year round and there's a reason life is like a dance you know there is a timing and you need to pay attention there's a reason why so like for instance in traditional chinese medicine they say that during the fall and the winter time the reason why the days are shorter is because you're healing you know kind of the most important parts of the body the kidneys and liver and the adrenal And so you need longer sleep and then you need like the squash and you need the things that grow at that time of year to help facilitate that healing time. And it's all very seasonal. It's all very cyclical. And it's part of how we just grow and we've evolved and our bodies understand it. So I think for sure, not only did I find that to be true for me, maybe not so regimented and that I'm, I can't say that I'm specifically a seasonal eater, but for sure, I find value in paying attention to what your body's needs are at specific times in life, especially as you know things get faster, technology is improving, and we're able to multitask and do more things. But that puts a whole lot of more pressure on our bodies. We're putting ourselves in a position to where we really need to make sure that we're supporting our immune system. So we need to make sure our diets are supporting whatever it is that we're trying to do in life. So seasonally, for sure, and also just in life in general, for sure, the more you can pay attention to what your body needs and what makes you feel good and what's not making you feel good, that's what you need to go with. I wouldn't pay attention at all to labels. I think vegan, vegetarian, paleo, honestly, I think it is doing more harm than good simply because it's throwing people off a path because they're just, they have some idea of what paleo is and they might actually need it, but because they know a bunch of crazy paleo people. They're not even willing to try or even allow for themselves to try because it's become more of like a label or a club or a, and it's like, man, it's just food choices. Y'all, can't we just like <laughs> just honor each other's, you know, healing process or honor each other's so funny. You know, life process? Yeah. It's just, it just gets weird. It's, it's like, a funny it's thing. We've talked about it with, I've talked about it with a lot of guests on the show of that thing, you know, it's the collective mind thing. And, 
you, you want to be part of the gang that's like agrees with you. And so there's these debates about like what the right diet is. And, you know, the vegans hate meat eaters and meat eaters think vegans are wusses or whatever the right. beef is. It's like that. I really try to avoid the label thing too. I think like, I think I, if I'm really honest with myself, I have a little bit of an antagonistic reaction to like the vegan and vegetarian world. A, because I resent the fact that I was a dumbass and was a vegetarian for 10 years and it was really not good for me and I was really ill because mm -hmm. I was missing key nutrients, which I later learned and implemented in my diet. Also as a vegetarian, I was eating a lot of foods that were very inflammatory. No one told me like that corn, soy, and wheat absolutely suck mm -hmm. and are just horrible for a number of different reasons. But then I think because of the whole like PETA and animal rights element, not just the health, but the, you know, just the political nature of some vegans and how they're just fairly aggressive mm -hmm. against people that don't agree with their particular belief system because in their viewpoint you're literally like murdering your fellow yeah. creatures and maybe that's true I don't know I'm <laughs> it's not for me to say but it's like I've had to resist getting caught up in that debate even on my show and you know I think I lean a little more towards the like we're biologically destined and pre-programmed to eat some animal products if there's a way we can do that without hurting the planet and, you know, being mean to animals, uh, I, I'm all for that. But I just don't, I, my body does not work right without egg yolks. It does not work right with some animal fats, mm -hmm. with some fish, with my oysters. Like, I don't know. I tried. It just doesn't. Yeah. I can't live on beans and celery and stuff. It's just like I can't get full. I mean, I don't know, but I have vegan. I have two vegan friends and um, and guests on the show and stuff, and they're they're super ripped and they go to the gym and they feel they awesome. Um, you know, I'm always like, well, what do your labs look like? You know, how's your mm -hmm. how are your um, you know micronutrients and hormones and all that? That's kind of what I would look at. But on the other side of that, it's sort of like a lot of that shits in your mind. You know, you look at a guy like Wim Hof, they ask Wim, I don't know if you know who Wim Hof is, oh, the yeah. Iceman, and they're mm -hmm. like, what do you eat? He's like, I don't know, a couple of beers, a few tomatoes. <laughs> you know, it's like, what? <laughs> you know, it's, they do his labs, and he's doing fine from heavy breathing and mm -hmm. doing ice baths. So, you know, who knows what the human body really needs. But uh, I have noticed that it's definitely cyclical, and I think that's really important for people to honor, is like, you might be great as a raw vegan for six years but at a certain point man if you're getting because i've known a lot of people that get really sick at around the six to eight year mark of mm -hmm. trying that and they just their health fails and then they have to start incorporating ghee or even david wolf who was like a you know a guest on my show and um raw food guy and i asked him i was like what happened he's like you know what dude i got sick of eating nuts straight up <laughs> he's like how much omega-6 can you like have in your diet and he's like so i started adding ghee and um, some goat cheese and whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and he probably took a lot of heat from the militant vegan followers and stuff. And he was like, you know what? Fuck it, man. I'm listening to my body. And my body says eat ghee because you need the omega-3s and K2 and whatever. That's it. You know, body rules. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing to teach people, at least in, you know, my practice and especially the people that I talk to and, and coach is the first thing I do. They want to talk diet. They want to talk, should I eat meat, not eat meat? Should I be gluten-free? Should I? And I was like, let me just give you permission to quiet the noise and just think about it. Like stop Googling it. Stop talking to everybody else. Stop posting on Facebook and seeing what all the feedback says. Just, yeah, just definitely walk don't away. post your diet yeah, on walk Facebook. Walk away like. <laughs> and see what sounds good to you. 
which sounds weird, but we, <laughs> it's a terrible analogy, but if you've ever had a dog and the dog feels sick, he knows to go outside and eat the grass. Right. We're smarter than the dogs. Right. So if he knows what to do when he's not feeling right, then the only thing in our way is just a bunch of noise. For so sure. True. That's a great, sure. that's a great example. My business partner, Lauren, um, has this dog. He's like our company mascot. His name's mm -hmm. Yoji. Adorable. Papillon. Love that freaking dog until he starts barking. Uh, but some days he just won't eat. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. he'll always eat bacon. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but his normal food, which is super high end, you know, raw, like just the best dog food ever. Um, and he's just like, meh, not eating. And Lauren mm -hmm. will get really concerned. And I'm always going, dude, he knows he's on a little fast. He's yeah. on his little doggy fast. He, he knows. knows it's not time to eat. So he's going to chill on eating for a couple of days and just regenerate and do whatever he's doing. And mm -hmm. I think we're programmed to like three meals a day. And remember the thing like oh, yeah. breakfast is the important, you know, meal of the day. You should eat 2,500 calories <laughs> and all that, you know, an omelet and vegetables. I'm like, no way, dude. In the morning, I'll drink like an herbal elixir with brain octane oil and um, grass-fed butter or yeah. ghee or a bulletproof coffee. And I'm good till one o'clock, two o'clock. And then I'll eat like kind of a meal. Yeah. All I need is fat in the morning. I'm good. I was just having that conversation with one of, my weight loss clients today, where I was explaining, if you're not hungry, it's okay to not eat. Science has already disproven that it's not affecting your metabolism. Like it's going to be okay. If you don't feel like eating until 4 p.m., then that's when you break the fast, the fast that started last night when you fell asleep. So that's what <laughs> breakfast is. It's just break breaking fast. a fast. And so when you decide to break the fast, it should be because you're hungry. Right, it not should, just because it's morning and people think you eat break fast mm -hmm. in the morning. Right, it's like you're like for me, I'm a, I mean, I'm a freakishly like loyal night person. You know, mm. I've been trying to fight it my whole life. It's it's futile, but maybe that's why. Like break fast for me is like one or two p.m. That's when I feel like it's morning. Like my morning is one o'clock. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get up at seven thirty-eight usually, but still, like I don't feel human until probably like twelve or one. I'm like, oh, cool. Like I can talk to people and be a nice guy now. Mm -hmm. Before that, it's like, don't fuck with me. I'm not ready. Like your chronotype. Yeah, which is probably why I don't break fast. I there's I couldn't imagine getting up and having a bowl of oatmeal with bananas and some toast and bacon and eggs. I'm like, how, when I see people <laughs> eat breakfast, I'm like, how do you do that? It's like, how are you hungry when you wake mm -hmm. up? It's so weird to me. So what are, are there any foods though, at least for you personally, or when you're working with clients um, that are just like non-negotiable, or at least, you know, you try to make them non-negotiable kryptonite foods where you just like do not touch the, I mean, aside from the obvious mm -hmm. processed foods, but for me, gluten is one of those. Mm -hmm. Like, man, I love me some sourdough French bread at a nice restaurant. And, you know, every, I don't know, I want to say couple months, probably once a month, I'll eat something that's just delicious and has gluten. Mm -hmm. But when I do... Man, I better take some bentonite clay and some charcoal. Like mm -hmm. I have this whole, I probably have to go to like some eating disorder 12-step group or something. When I do that, I'm always like, you know, this is mental, right? Luke, like I eat some food I'm not supposed to eat. And then I take a bunch of stuff to like, mm -hmm. you know, exonerate myself from the damages. <laughs> but gluten for me, definitely my body's like, don't eat it. But mm -hmm. my brain says, yes, eat it. You want to feel the opiate feeling of eating yeah. French bread or whatever it is. So do you have anything you're like not going to touch or you try to avoid or tell people to avoid? So yes and no. I My hope is always that people will try to avoid or highly limit dairy. I haven't met anybody who really benefits from it. 
Um, and by, I always get confused about dairy, and I'm mm-hmm. sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no worries. Because I'm just, you know, it's like a word game, somatics or something, but is butter dairy? Or when we say dairy, you're just talking about like cheese and milk and half and half or cream. Um, so for the most part, or at least in your, in your cheese, definition. I find that cheese is very inflammatory for people. They tend to have the most ill effects from cheese. You know, butter is a different process, but it's still dairy for the most part. Um, so when I say dairy, I, I do include butter just because I see it constantly being an issue for people. Uh. But what I tell them is, this is just for a minute. Let's just see how you feel. And if you feel good, and then we throw some butter back into your diet and you still feel good and we don't see inflammation markers go back up, you're not putting weight back on again, you're not having those little weird aches and pains that you can't figure out where they're coming from anymore, then we know butter's okay. You just totally freaked me out because I, I have those symptoms and I eat, like, <laughs> I eat like half a stick of butter a day, literally. like I'm, Butter's probably like the main staple of my diet. So, okay, so... Yeah, cheese, though. I mean, I love me some cheese, mm-hmm. but God, it definitely wrecks me. Yeah. That's usually my relapse. Like, there's this place called Moza up on Highland in Melrose. Mm-hmm. It's like the best pizza in L.A., man. Mm. But it's really good sourdough, like fermented dough. It's not the worst gluten material you could have. And I'm sure it's like decent cheese, but oh, my God, it just wrecks me. It's a combination of gluten and cheese. I think pizza, yeah. pizza is like the most satanic food for your gut. Mm-hmm. Um so, but if someone is sensitive to, because in butter, you still have the proteins, that, right? The casein, mm-hmm. which is inflammatory. And then do you have lactose in butter? Do you happen to know? Or is that? I'm honestly not sure. I'm not sure either. But the solution to that, for from what I understand, and I've noticed too, um, less inflammatory is having ghee. Yes. Right? Because then all the proteins and all the weird, it's essentially like ghee isn't even dairy anymore mm-hmm. because all that shit's been cooked off and separated and you just have the actual fats, like the animal fats. Right. Does that yes. sound right? Yeah. And that's typically, so if we're if they're off dairy or they're experimenting to see how they feel not having any dairy, the first thing we'll, we'll roll back in will be ghee because that seems to be a good deal to just kind of meet them halfway with. And then they end up liking it better. And for the most part, they don't have any real reactions to it at that point. Yeah. If you're, I mean, for me, if you're putting ghee on food, it, it just spreads and melts a lot easier and it's better to cook with because it doesn't yes. you know, oxidize as fast as butter because it doesn't have the protein. But ghee is so delicious. <laughs> I'm like, I could, I don't care if you like put, put me, you know, like a gun to my head to make me be vegan. I'm like, all right, I'm cool. Like I could give up steaks and shit. I don't even like meat that much. You know, mm-hmm. I just, it just for, t- it's just to fill me up and give me energy. But ghee, oh my God. Yeah. Ghee is so the good. best. I eat it just spoonfuls of ghee. I mean, it's just <laughs> like, I'm on the case. Because ghee makes like gross stuff like broccoli actually taste good. Like yeah. some seas, I mean, you know, no offense if you like broccoli, but I'm not a huge vegetable fan. It's kind of work for me to eat vegetables. Mm-hmm. But you could take a vegetable like broccoli, steam it, then add ghee and sea salt. And it's like, holy shit, this is yeah. actually good. Changes everything. Yeah. So, okay. So, um, so dairy can be an issue. What else? For sure, gluten. Um, removing that is hard. People have a real hard time with that. A lot of it is mental though. It's so addictive. Well, I, <clears throat> this is how I explain it. So, and it, and it seems to make a difference for them. So when your goal is to be, it doesn't matter if your goal is to be healthy, if your goal is to lose weight, if your goal is to get super lean, if your goal is to like not be in pain, if your goal is to sleep better, whatever the goal is, it doesn't matter. The point is you've, you've created in your mind something that you're trying to attain and you're asking your body to facilitate that. 
your body is going to follow your instructions. So anytime you're supporting it by giving it foods that are going to help facilitate that process, y'all are working together and you're in tandem and it works out really nice and it's really beautiful. But then all of a sudden you come in and you ask it to do something else like, oops, there's some toxins or, oh, well, now we have all this inflammation we have to deal with. And it, it can't do what you're asking it to do and deal with the toxins. Like hiring the best, most effective marketing person for your company and, and that's what they do best and that's what you hired them for and that's what you want them there for. And then every time they open up their folder to get started on you know this awesome marketing plan, you come in with a stack of bills and you're like, can you also do my accounting? Because if you could do my accounting, um, then, then get to the marketing later. At some point, they're just only doing all the other work that you didn't really ask them to do or bring them on to do in the first place and you can't figure out why your marketing still sucks because you keep redirecting their energy towards something that's not serving either one of you. You just answered two questions with one. You just solved a lot of my entrepreneurial <laughs> frustration. <laughs> it's like, I'm literally going through that right now. I hired someone for a particular job mm -hmm. and then like three other roles just developed mm -hmm. and were born. And I was like, cool, you do those other three jobs too. And that person's like, uh, I didn't sign up for that. And, you mm -hmm. know, of course, doesn't do a great job on any of them because they're overwhelmed. Yeah. But your mm -hmm. body can also. Yeah. You got to line same, up same with situation. your body and be like, okay, I'm asking you to burn fat efficiently for me. I'm asking you to you to go crack open all my fat stores and pull the energy out of that and use that. Um, I'm going to help you with that by not asking you to do 10 other things, which is fighting the, you know, inflammation down and dealing with whatever you pick up because you're out too late and you're not sleeping well or um, dealing with inflammation that are from toxins or metal, you know, just don't give it more things to do if, if you really want to accomplish your goal. And so if bread is something that's going to bring on inflammation, you have to agree. Okay, I agree that I'm going to have this bread today, which means that you're not going to be able to accomplish the goal I'm asking you to do. So I'm not going to feel guilt or shame about that. I'm going to enjoy the bread because guilt and shame is more toxic than you could than anything you could ever put in your mouth. So enjoy the bread. Know that that work's not going to get done today. And then tomorrow, start again. But don't play in between the two constantly because that's not effective for anything. That's a really good point. Yeah, I've, it's a slippery slope there, though, because it's like, okay, I don't want to be a control freak and mm -hmm. be orthorexic and be totally obsessed about what I eat and mm -hmm. reading every label and being that pain in the ass guy at dinner that like asked the waiter a million questions, <laughs> where was the chicken born and all this of kind course. of shit, you know? Of course. And so you want to like relinquish some of that control and you don't want to you don't want to energize guilt and shame when you, you know, quote unquote air quotes here, you know, fall off the wagon or you have a slip up in your mm -hmm. dietary regimen. But that can also be used as like a loophole where like, hey, man, well, I'm just going to start eating a bunch of M&Ms and shit, you know, right, or of whatever. Because it's like, well, I don't want to be too rigid. You know, it's like I've struggled with that because I don't want to beat myself up if I go off the reservation. But at the same time, like if I don't beat myself up a little, then I go off the reservation too much. Mm -hmm. A couple nights ago, I just driving down Olympic. I had a crazy sugar craving. I look over Shell gas station. I'm like, am I going to go in there and get some like trashy almonds or some shit? Cause I mm -hmm. want a snack. I'm like, no, I want some Rolos. <laughs> I'm getting, I want some caramel son. I go in there and grab a pack of Rolos. Like before I even pull out of the parking lot, I just engulfed the entire thing. Mm -hmm. And it, you know what? Honestly, it wasn't really very good. I mean, it was actually kind of gross. It wasn't like good candy. Yeah. But for whatever reason I had a sugar craving, but I didn't beat myself up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, 
I would have preferred that I didn't waste like a cheat on something so lame. Yes. Like, I, I, why didn't I go to a nice restaurant and have like a $12 gorgeous dessert with flour and white sugar in it or whatever that actually mm. like tastes good? And I at least got some, you know, sensory yeah. satisfaction that was worth the hit. So it's, you know what I mean? Isn't yeah. it kind of a fine line where you don't want to be too controlling, but you don't want to just say whatever? Because that like, that totally screwed up my ketosis and that, you know, I probably like, crave more sugar the next day because mm -hmm. I unlocked the beast and I started burning glucose and I kind of messed up my whole little rhythm I had going. Right. It's tough. It's got to just be all about the ROI, you know? Yeah. So if you're going, somebody said to me today, oh my gosh, no fried foods, Wendy? Like, I love fried foods. I was like, then make sure that it's like the best fried food you can possibly get your hands on. Right. So go do it and just do it really well. Right. But make an agreement with yourself that this is still the goal. This is still your perfect day or this is still the thing that you want more than anything. So make sure that that doesn't lose its value simply because you've found value in something else. Right. And for fried food, everyone listening, I would recommend Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles on Pico. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of fried food, <laughs> I don't even like chicken, but Roscoe's, like they got some secret sauce up in there. Here's the deal. There's like a spectrum of sensitivity, right? You have mm -hmm. people that are celiac where they just freak. My Can't dad just like freaks out when mm -hmm. he has gluten. His whole body's like red oh, alert. Wow. It's just horrible, you know? I, I'm not celiac, but definitely I have a sensitivity to it. So there's a spectrum there. It's my personal belief that if you eat gluten, eventually it's going to catch up with you depending on, you know, how sensitive you are. But it's probably not an optimal food. But what about soy? Because in, in the health food community, and when I was a vegetarian, I ate so much soy. Oh, and yeah. I think I like turned into like a B cup from eating soy. My hormones were so <laughs> jacked up. I'm like, I'm shopping at Victoria's Secret. You know what I'm saying? It's yep, like that'll do it. Yeah, it's just like not cute to mm -hmm. get moobs when you're trying <laughs> when you're trying to be healthy. So, do you think there's what do you think about eating soy? Should people be eating? And again, you know, without being controlling or of dogmatic course. or telling people how to live their life. But if I'm asking you as my coach, I'm like, hey, so I pretty much like I don't eat meat. So I eat tons of soy all day. How's that going to work out for me? Yeah, I think that's a terrible idea. If you're going to order a little edamame at the beginning of a meal someplace, probably not going to be a big deal. If everything you're eating has some kind of soy element to it, it is a big deal. It's It's estrogenic. It messes with the hormones. It's one of the top main GMO foods out there. So you, it's going to be very difficult to find like a good quality soy product. Uh, I just think overall it's just best to avoid just too many, too many risk factors in there for right. me personally. And what, any other um, demonic foods that we might want to be aware of? Mm, I think corn to me, I think is a problem for a lot of people. Yeah. So I always recommend at least checking out how you feel without it and then throwing it back in every once in a while. Or if you do have it, make sure it's non-GMO, make sure it's organic. And, um, you know, there's a lot of products now that are alternatives. There's some amazing chips that I just found the other day and I kind of wish I hadn't found them because I don't know how to stop. But they're made with cassava root and they're like tortilla chips, but they're better which I didn't think was possible, honestly. Right. I, whoever formulated that product, I honest, I just want to hug them. Oh, like, that's cool. Mm -hmm, that's they're great. They're really good. The thing, because I love chips and salsa, and I love Mexican food, mm -hmm. like just old school greasy yellow corn chips. Like, mm -hmm. you, I mean, how do you beat that? You <laughs> it's don't. Delicious. You, don't. You, know? you don't beat it. <laughs> but the the thing that sucks about 
even trying to eat healthy and you go in a store like Erwan and in Hollywood or just a Whole Foods anywhere. And if, you know, we don't want to be psycho and read the labels, but even if you're trying to avoid like gluten, corn, and soy, which to me would be the, the three bad boys, just outside of obvious toxic food that's poisonous, you know. But those are foods that a lot of people think are healthy and you get them at the health food store. But you know what's really sneaky in a lot of those foods and packaged foods of those products is they're always laden with canola oil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is just gnarly stuff. Having been off, you know, quote unquote, vegetable oils and seed oils for a long time, if I take a trip down that road, like I seriously feel it if I have some of those rancid, nasty, like omega 6 oils. Yep. And it's very deceiving because I think some people are becoming aware that canola oil totally sucks and you don't want to eat it. But there's this really sneaky stuff they do where they just say vegetable oil. Mm hmm. And if you read that, you're like, oh, sick. That sounds healthy. It's made from vegetables. It's like, <laughs> yeah, but they're seeds. They're vegetables that you shouldn't be eating. And those oils are are heated up to the point where they oxidize. And they're actually like, you know, everyone knows you, you're you supposed to eat antioxidants. Well, those foods are like pro-oxidants, right? right? Mm-hmm. And they're inflammatory. So what about, so we got so, soy, corn, and, and wheat. What about, what's your take on fats and oils? Oh, yeah. Vegetable oils, canola oil. I always recommend staying away from those. Get your fats from coconut oil, avocados, avocado oil, and olive oil, but just good, high-quality olive oil even. But right. as far as like the vegetable oils, not... Not a good plan. Yeah, the olive oil thing is funny. There's a guy named Larry something who's got a book called Fake Foods mm-hmm. something. Don't worry, guys. I'll get him on the show eventually. He's he's pretty popular, so I'm trying to track him down. But uh, he did this whole book about like how tons of seafood is fake. Like you think you're getting cod, and it's really a carp. You know, and, like mm-hmm. all this weird stuff. But olive oil is like a huge shady industry. Mm-hmm. It has to do with the Italian mafia. There's this whole like. <laughs> yes. Have you heard about this? I shit? have heard about that. There's this crazy like olive oil worldwide conspiracy where a lot of it is like if it's even olive oil, it's very diluted with like canola oil mm-hmm. and really bad oils. So if you're gonna buy olive oil and you look at the prices. You're like, oh, I'll take the cheap organic olive oil. Don't it's do like, it. no, you got to get like the cold press. It's like $25 for a tiny little bottle and it's in like an amber glass and it's all protected. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a lot to that olive oil thing. And when it's good though, you barely need any. So spend totally. your money on those fats because it's it's worth it in the end and not just from a, a health standpoint, but from just like a, a palate standpoint. It changes everything when you have a quality salt and when you have right. a quality oil, it, right. everything, all vegetables taste good automatically. Thanks for reminding me about olive oil because I get so addicted to ghee. <laughs> like I forget there's other <laughs> fats that are good for you. But I think it's like I used to cook with olive oil and like boil the oil, oh, yeah. which then mm-hmm. it ruins it and makes it inflammatory, right? Mm-hmm. So then I finally learned that you just you steam the food or cook the food in whatever way. Yes. Then you drizzle the olive oil on afterward, mm-hmm. and then you can really taste it. And you're so right. Like, real quality olive oh, oil yeah. is so good. Yeah. It's making me crave Can't a salad right now. <laughs> so that was a trip, right? What a journey Wendy Michelle has been on and then took us on in this episode. What a great conversation. There is nothing more fun, you guys, than sitting down and talking to someone who, like I said in the intro, is like my biohacking twin. Like we could honestly go on for hours and hours. And in fact, we did. And that's why this is a two-part episode. You just finished part one and I want to thoroughly and enthusiastically encourage you to come back this Friday 
and make sure that you listen to part two because then we get into really a lot more of the solution-oriented stuff, whereas part one had a little more to do with her story. But she's got some major biohacking health knowledge bombs to drop on number two. So if you're subscribed to this podcast, which is so easy to do, all you do is click on a button on your device there, whatever you're listening to this on that says subscribe. And then every week, every episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or your device. So pretty cool thing to do, especially when we have these two-part episodes. So thank you so very much for listening. And I would like to remind you that as a guest, because she, Wendy's, you know, a fan of the podcast and she's one of you as well as being, you know, one of my guests, she's offered that um, special over at Next Health. And Next Health is located on Crescent Heights and Sunset in Hollywood. And they are offering to you listeners for a limited time a $79 special for a week of cryo. That's usually $129. They're also giving you a listener discount on their genetic fit test, their whole program, which normally goes for $500. They will give you that for $375, and you can do that locally or long distance. That genetic test is really cool. I did it. It looks at over 70 genetic markers to determine the best diet, exercise program, and what supplementations are going to actually work for you. So it ended up saving me a lot of money because I was taking a lot of stuff that I really didn't need. It's pretty fantastic what you can find out. I probably learned more from doing that test than I did in like five years of guesswork and (laughs) trying to figure it out on my own because you're looking at like scientific data. So get over to NextHealth. Their website is www www.next-health.com or you can just roll in there and talk to Wendy. I mean, she's there every day. She'll do a consultation with you. As you can tell from listening to this episode, she's extremely knowledgeable. So enjoy that perk while it lasts and I'll see you this Friday for part two. Okay, now that we've wrapped up another episode and are even more inspired to live a healthy, happy lifestyle, I want to remind you to go to Organifi.com. That's spelled with an I, Organifi.com. Check out the green juice powder. It's fantastic. And what's even more fantastic is that if you enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout, you're going to save a whopping 20% off your order. Go to Organifi.com, enter the code LIFESTYLIST, save 20%. Hey, and don't forget to go to lukestory.com forward slash support where you can throw in a couple bucks to help keep this party going. You can do a one-time pledge or even a monthly contribution and any little bit helps, I swear. So go to lukestory.com forward slash support and show some love. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks. Thanks.